I'm Terry Chapman, and uh, I am the the uh, designated the DT, the designated teacher for adult education. You know, you got a designated hitter in baseball, so I I get to step in when when somebody's missing, and I got a heads up earlier this week about midweek that, that he was going to be gone. So they said, "Would you step in for Cliff?" And I said, "I'd be glad to. I've done it a couple of times before." He's got interesting shoes to fill. I don't know whether it's good news or bad news. The good news is, I don't talk at 120 with verse to 440. <laughs> like he does. The bad news is, is I run late like he does. So, you know, I, they, he always gives me the opportunity to uh, teach a little longer because I doubt we get through all the notes. Now, does Cliff ever make it through all his notes? Yeah. Nah, so you won't be disappointed, right? When we don't do these either. This is not part, this is just a separate little piece. Uh, what I am doing here is a front end piece to a, actually about a seven or eight or nine week series that I've done before that really discusses what does it look like if you really want to know God's will in your life? I hear that question quite a bit. People say, what does God expect of me? What is, you know, I just want to know what God's will is. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just rather get a postcard from God to say, here's what I want you to do? How many would like that? Be very careful what you ask for. God has sent me a couple of postcards in my life that were so specific that I knew it was from the Lord. I knew exactly what he was calling me to do. And it was an Isaac moment for me. So some of what we talk about today is going to discuss if you're serious about wanting to know what God's will is in your life, what do you have to do to prepare for that? How does that look? The series I, I, that this all falls into, I mean, just to give you, this is my call to obedience. This is what today's piece is. Our response to the call would be another lesson, our freedom in Christ, which talks about liberty or license or... or uh, uh, legalism. There's another one we do then on our call to stewardship. How do we act as good stewards? Our call to service then, and then God's will. That's kind of a final. So you're getting just a front-end piece. But I want you to know that I consider these notes one of the strongest pieces I was ever taught. I didn't come to Christ until I was in my early 20s. And for me, it was some catch-up time, trying to figure it out. What's going on? What is God? I'm an engineer by background. So I'm a very logical person. I like seeing things that way. If they don't make sense, I go, you know, what's supposed to be here? So I really work on it from that perspective. These notes were a compilation of some of the mentoring I had of how to make sense of what God's really doing in your life. So we'll, I don't know, I, I forget, does Cliff have you guys look up Scripture and so forth and read? If not, you're going to. So be ready with your Bibles, get them open. I don't do the Scripture reading, and I'll walk down amongst you so that the we can be a little more intimate. But in any case, the, the piece I've got at the top, just to get this started, God's will, tailor-made, there's actually a piece written on that. I took that directly from that piece. And the question that comes up in your life, is it a puzzle, a problem, or a possession? In other words, is it a puzzle to figure out, to kind of put the pieces together? And you know, I've got all these pieces, I don't know what to do. Is it a problem to solve? Yeah, God's laid this problem in front of me as if I've got to solve it. Or does God not hide it from me and I possess it? In other words, and that's where I believe we can be. I think we create this idea that it's a puzzle or a problem. 
instead of the fact that it is a possession that we can have immediately. And that's the one thing I hope you walk away with, is the idea of what can I do? Now, I will tell you that this information is the type of information that you will walk away, some of you will walk away uncomfortable. Because God will use this. He used it in my life to knock me off the fence. If you're sitting on the fence going, yeah, I'm not sure which way I want to go, this is either going to push you more toward one side of the fence or the other. So if you walk away feeling that way, that's not abnormal. This was these notes, some of these notes were given to me originally by a gentleman who was discussing this in terms of revival. What does it look like if God comes down amongst his people? He was there for a couple of weeks with our church group, and a lot of us got very and just after my wife who's sitting in the back corner here, how uncomfortable that became. So part of that is from this. So three three oh by the way. Uh, we're going to use Romans 12, too. Uh, did I write that in your notes? You've got the whole verse out there, so I'll read that one. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Keep a, Circle that word. We're going to come back and talk about that some more. So, uh, the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know what God's will is? It somehow relates back to this renewing of your mind. Um, his good, uh, perfect, and pleasing will. Three prerequisites, and I write this down as SOS. I like uh, little uh, acronyms like this. What's it called when you have the, the letters that all form together? A what? An acrostic. Yeah, an acrostic, and that's really a good way. I mean, we have acrostics for like, anybody use the ACTS acrostic for praying? Anybody know what it is? A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Just to remember four things to pray about. So. That's a great one. I think acrostics are a great way. So in the SOS, I don't think I gave you these yet, but it's three things. It's salvation, obedience, and submission. Salvation, obedience, and submission. We're going to talk about this, the obedience portion of this. We'll use the submission as an application. And the salvation piece we'll start with because it's a prerequisite coming in. I'm assuming that most of you are followers of Jesus Christ, that you have come to salvation in your life. Now, in a group this large, that may be a bad assumption. There may be those of you who have not come to that point yet, that you're still searching. But I want you to know that to understand what God's will is, you've got to come to the point of salvation first. Why is that? What does 1 Corinthians 2.14 say? you have not circled this in your Bible, you should do so. It says that the natural man, that the man who does not know Christ, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are what? Spiritually discerned. Not from our knowledge of book knowledge, but from our knowledge of what the Spirit lays in us. And until we come to salvation, we won't have that. I know that when I came to salvation, it was through my dentist who was teaching a Bible study, men's Bible study, and which is humorous to me because I hate dentists. So, and when I saw he was doing the teaching, I thought, eh, you know, it's all right, but uh, he's a nice guy, great guy, as a matter of fact, but I just don't like dentists. So God used him, but he said, and it struck me right between the eyes, if you're here today and you cannot say with assurance that you're a Christian, that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your need is not to study the Bible. Your need is to accept Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. 
for whatever reason, that's what the Spirit used in my life to click on to me. Terry, you know this question you've been asking all your life of why do we exist? What makes sense? This is it. I specifically remember thinking, this is the answer to my question. I had no idea what had gotten a hold of me. I had no idea what had just happened. But salvation had occurred. The challenge is, is you know, the scripture says that that all things, behold, all things are new, but they're not new in the way of being renovated. I suddenly wasn't, that old sin nature that I had was still with me, and those same old bad patterns I had still stayed with me. And that was a little confusing to me. I couldn't exactly figure it out because I'd hear testimony of people going, man, I was going this way totally wrong in my life and really screwed up, and suddenly I, everything was gone and I was, you know, good to go on this side. That, that wasn't my testimony. My testimony was it took me a while to get a handle on what had happened. But salvation must occur before spiritual things start to make sense. God will illuminate to those that are not saved. He will illuminate what they need to come to salvation. But the deeper things of Scripture, most will not be able to understand. A lot of people read the Scriptures and have a pretty good understanding of what's going on, but there's some deep things here that the Spirit will lay on you that uh, you wouldn't know otherwise. I, uh, I also wrote down uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18. Anybody know what that says? Somebody look that up real quick and read that to us. Just a good reminder again of why you must come to salvation. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. It is foolishness. Foolishness to those that are perishing. They look and go, how can that be? Why does that make sense? Until the Spirit lays it upon us and opens our eyes up, we just don't know. All right, so I'm assuming again that you've come to the salvation point as we go into the notes for the class today. The second piece we're going to look at then is obedience and the concept of you must be obeying Him. This 1 Samuel 15, 22, somebody read just that verse to us, just that verse. We're going to go in and look at this one a little deeper later as part of our work here, but this will get us started on the obedience First Corinthians 15. This is, by the way, just to lay this out, this is Saul and Samuel. King Saul has gone off to fight the Amalekites. He's come back, and Samuel, here's some things happening in the background, and they go through, and they realize Saul has sinned, and what does Samuel reply? Like, and we'll go into that a little deeper, but what does Samuel say to Saul? Because Saul said, I was sacrificing for the Lord. How many of us ever go, well, Lord, I'm really sacrificing for you today? And how did Samuel reply to that? Are you reading 1522? Oh, I'm sorry. It should be 1522. I, I'm confusing you guys. I'm making this a puzzle for you. Put 1522 down. Somebody read. Go ahead and read 22 there. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. Circle that. To obey is better than sacrifice. Now, we're going to come back in a, in a moment here and ask ourselves the question, what is obedience? Do we really understand what obedience is? We're going to take a little deeper look at that. But one piece that I want to give you, because this will help 
solidify, not in your notes, this is an extra piece. What is truth? Truth is what God says. Where do we see that? We get that from Scripture. And then other people sharing and explaining, teaching and so forth. That's truth, what God says. What is faith? Faith is believing what God says. What is obedience? Just as James said, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Those three go together. Now the question is, what is obedience? In other words, how do you define that? So we'll get back to that here in a second. And then submission, this is the application piece. This is what you must go away today and ask yourself. Am I willing to do what God has laid upon my heart? Not what Terry has laid upon my heart, but what God has laid upon my heart. I encourage you to go in and dig back into these scriptures that I've written down here. And say, God, what are you sharing with me? And I'm willing to do that. When that moment came to Isaiah... What did Isaiah say? He said, holy is the Lord, but he also said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. That's the submission point. You know, we worry about, anybody worry about what you're afraid the Lord might do to you? I know and my wife and I, we talked about it when we were young, and it was like, oh man, what if the Lord asked us to go to Africa? I mean, that was our thing, you know? We would, that's not something we want to do, right? I don't know what your thing is that you're saying, boy, Lord, I really don't want to do that. And I'm going to tell you that that is Satan's lie to you. You need to set that aside. God is not going to ask something of you that he's not going to gift you in and, and uh, assist you in and give you all that, that you need. If he calls you to Africa, he calls you to Africa. But I'm just telling you that you've got to get to the point to say, Lord, here I am, open-handed. Everything I have is yours. My children, my talent, my treasures, everything. Here it is, use me. As you choose, use me. That's the walk away from this class. If you really want to find out what it's like to be used by the Lord and to be able to come back with these strong <coughs> testimonies that go, I cannot, I mean, it's a Marty. Look at Marty. Marty's a prime example. He goes, how could anybody have thought that I would ever lead a church like this? He said, I'm not equipped to do so. But then he immediately says, it's not me, but it's God doing it through me. That's submission. That's why I think Marty is so successful, because we see that model. That's what God calls us all to do. All right. Uh, Psalm 51, 16 and 17. Again, let somebody read that. Somebody's got that open. Otherwise, I would bring it. But what you do delight in is what? A broken spirit that, we're going to talk about that morning. What does that look like? A contrite heart. What does that look like? That's the discussion. That's the application piece that we'll want to go with. Okay. So what does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Well, let's look at some verses here. Somebody happen to know what Psalm 119.11, that's a palindrome, by the way, 119.11, it's the same 
forwards and backwards. That's a palindrome. So to remember this verse, remember 11911, kind of like a phone number, right? This is one of my life verses. Anybody know what this verse says without looking it up? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So, again, we're putting the word in. Psalm 119. These are all in Psalm 119. It's such a great piece. 15. I meditate on your precepts. On your precepts. Not just the word, but the principles. How does this all come together? I meditate on that. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we have all this about the word. And we study it and we meditate on it. But then James comes along and reminds us. We've already said that. James 1.22. Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. So, um, we need to not only be studying God's word, but we also need to be applying it. We also need to be applying it. Too many of us come together and a lot of tapes. Well, tapes in my generation. CDs, not even that now, I guess. You know, the CDs have become old hat, but whatever everybody does now to, to study. I'm just saying all of that, we keep that going. We listen, we listen, we listen, we put in, we put in, but we don't turn around and submit ourselves to application. If you, I'll give you a secret here before we even get into this. If you want to be used to the Lord this week, this day, there's one prayer that you can pray that I guarantee God will answer because it is in His God in His will, and that is God bring somebody across my path today that I can have a fit word with that I can say something to that I'll just recognize that hey this is a divine moment we miss a lot of divine moments because we're too busy I had that problem at work because you're so work oriented. And I started to say about 25 years ago, Lord, bring across another man in my path that you would like me to mentor. Now, I was not equipped to mentor, but I knew God had called us to disciple, and I thought somehow i got to get into that. And I had a mentor telling me that's what you need to be praying. I started to pray that, and that week, a man came along, and again, I, was, I said to the Lord, I'll be more in tune, I'll be kind of paying attention. And he was a vendor. And he came along, and we kind of, you know, it was one of those things that he was talking business, and I was thinking, no, 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 this is a divine moment. I could feel it. I don't know why the Spirit was doing that, right? And I said something to him, like, hey, if you ever want to get together and just talk life, give me a yell. That started a six-year relationship where he looks back now and tells me, he said, that was a changing point in my life. And I said, that wasn't me, that was God. I began to pray that more and more, and I've had... One man after another, not a large group. It's more like Christ. How many how many people did Christ disciple? Twelve, really. But how many did he really disciple? Intimately. Three. Peter, James, and John, right? It was those three. And I think God's calling us into the same thing most of the time. There are people who disciple lots and so forth, but most of us are going to be intimate with a few. I'm just telling you, if you want to come back with a wildly unbelievable testimony next week, is say, Lord, bring somebody across my path today that I can work with, that I can have a good word, that I can disciple. Wherever you look, what I feel inadequate, I don't even know what I'm going to say. You're going to have to say it for me. You begin to pray that, and it will be answered immediately. I, I can absolutely guarantee that. 
I've done this enough now to realize we're just not submitting ourselves. Okay, so uh, applying it to James 1.22, the Joshua 1.8, the Joshua 1.8 says, Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything you, uh, you've been asked to do. You may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now the question is, when we read that prosperous and successful, how do you define that? How does the world define prosperous and successful? That's we, we understand that pretty well. We look and go, yeah, everybody's into it for money or or what? Fame, yeah, fame or power, right? Or Or glory, or quite frankly, or lust. Lust after something. There's a lot of lust going on either after power, after things, after material, whatever. That's the world's view. We have no trouble understanding that. What is God's view? If God says at the end, you are successful and prosperous, what is his view? Nothing to do with today's notes other than to think about this idea. God already gave somebody. You know, if God came to you and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to offer you more wealth than, uh, I don't know, Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, what would you say? Okay, I like that idea. Yeah, that's somebody truthful there. I would have said the same. I remember as a young man saying, God, give me all this money because I'll use it to your glory, right? Then I found out how easily I could screw it up. Right? But we still we go, yeah, I could do that. Or he came to you and says, I want to give you more influence than the President of the United States has. And we go, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Think of all the good I could do, right? And I can't say for the women, but I can say for the men. I know in our case, we are drawn to that. That sin just draws us into the wrong things of going after that. And God gave that already to somebody. Do you remember who that was? He gave infinite wealth, infinite Solomon, infinite power. Nobody's ever been more powerful, had more influence. And what was interesting is he gave him all the wisdom to go along with it, to use it correctly, right? And he said, Solomon, I'm only going to ask you one thing when I do that. I'm going to ask you to write a thesis paper at the end of your life. And the thesis paper, I just want you to describe how things went. And that is called the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know, a good thesis paper starts off with a conclusion as to what you've decided, to, you know, what you found out. And what does he say in the first sentence of Ecclesiastes? If you don't know it, y'all look it up and circle it. All vanity. All vanity. All meaningless. You know, meaningless is how it starts. Meaningless. And you go, wow. That's how he describes life. And then he gets into discussing how much did he have? What did it look like? And so I'm able to point men towards that to say, you don't have to go through this. I can show you what this is going to be like. And at the end, Solomon then says, but here's the end of all things. And if you look, somebody look up the end of Ecclesiastes and read just the last couple verses. Because this is the conclusion he makes, man's duty. Again, this is how I make sense of what I think God's called us to in our understanding. What's the last couple verses of Ecclesiastes? Not in your notes. That's the problem is all this stuff comes to me when I'm teaching you. I get off on the side trails. My wife just <coughs> shakes her head. And I have a son sitting back here with this, with my daughter-in-law. And, and uh, 
They, uh, my son just looks at me. I can't look at him because he's always shaking his head like that. <laughs> so somebody read that to us. What do the last couple of verses say? I don't know if it's the last verse or the last two verses. I forgot. I looked this up in a while. All has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God and, and what? And obey. It comes right back to these notes. This ties together. I just want to tie some other pieces into here as they come to me. So that's a piece on Ecclesiastes. All right. Um, so the, the, the transform to the renewing of your mind. Here's the piece I want you to do as a takeaway. We talk about repentance. When we say repentance, I know as a young man, a young Christian, I didn't understand exactly what was being discussed. You know, there's all those words, reconciliation and repentance and I don't know, all this stuff, you know, the words we use and I go, I don't understand all these and I'd write them down and I'd go to the Bible study teacher and say, you need to talk to me some more about these. And he'd still use more words like them to describe them and that didn't help me a whole lot, so it took me a while. But repentance, what do you think repentance is, class? Turning around. I originally was taught, yeah, you're going this direction with what you're doing. Repentance is turning around and going the other direction. How many of you have been taught that? That's true, but that's not the whole truth. The truth is repentance first occurs in changing your mind, your thinking. It's why in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, it says you were taught in regard to your former way of life to Put off your old self, which is being constantly corrupted by its evil desires, and to be made new in the, how to be made new? In the renewing of your mind. And to put on your new self, which has been created to be like God, true righteousness. But it's in the renewing of, and then I, I quote here, uh, Romans uh, 12, 1. To be made new in the renewing of your mind. Well, what does that mean? That means that I spend time... Thinking about what are the precepts, studying what's going on. God, what is your thinking? I know the world's view because it comes at me ten times a minute. I need to understand what your worldview is. This is what we need to be teaching the younger generation. Is the worldview from God's viewpoint. And it, we won't know that unless we spend time in the Word. And once we finally get our mind wrapped around it, things like, by the way... I wrote some, well, no, I did it later on, but, you know, things like, and this is what Christ did in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, you have heard that it was said. Remember, he starts off a lot of phrases that way. So, You've heard that it was said that a man should not commit adultery. But then he always followed with saying, but I tell you the, what? The truth. So obviously they don't know what the truth is. You've been taught. But I tell you the truth, and what's the truth? <coughs> that a man who even looks has committed already. And everybody goes, whoa! Is that changing your mind? That's changing your thinking. That's what this is about. That's getting a hold of Scripture and going, wow, that's totally different. He said somewhere else, you heard, you know, do this to your enemy. But I tell you the truth to love your enemy. To pray for those who persecute you, and you go, Radical thinking. That's why Christianity is so radical, because it changes our thinking. We will not repent 
We will not change our direction or it will become very legalistic until we change what's in here. That's why the renewing of the mind is so important. Okay, what do we really need to measure ourselves? We need to do it by God's standard, not man's opinion. By God's standard, not man's opinion. Uh, Isaiah 28, 16 and 17. Somebody got that one open? You staying ahead of me with the verses here? Isaiah 28. Somebody want to read that? 16 and 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying a fly up to the stone, and test the stone, cause the cornerstone to the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. I will make justice the measuring line, and righteousness the level. So this is what the sovereign word says. See, I will lay a stone in Zion. Now, we don't do a lot of building, so we don't understand this quite as well. But he calls it a what kind of stone? A cornerstone. If you study what a cornerstone is, the cornerstone was the first major stone laid to a building. And from that, all other parts of the building then were laid straight. If you didn't get the cornerstone laid correctly, the building would probably not last. And so it talks about this measuring line. That would be that horizontal, the plumb line. That would be the vertical direction. That's what a cornerstone's all about. They would have understood this. We don't understand that unless you're in the building trades to understand concepts of a cornerstone. But that's who Christ is. He's saying, if you don't have the correct foundation, it's all going to be sinking sand. He talks about that also in other verses, right? So that's what this is all about. Again, we need to measure ourselves correctly. What do we need to measure ourselves by? Not what man says, but what God says. And, and how did he model it to us? Through the life of Jesus Christ. That's why he talks about Christ being the cornerstone. All right, so total obedience is the key. And here's, a, here's an interesting piece. It is not truth. It is not truth because I believe it. That's what the world says. The world says, if I believe it to be true, then it must be true. That's how I define truth. It is not truth because I believe it. I believe it because it is truth. There's a big difference there. So, somehow... You're putting your faith, your trust into something. It's like a neighbor of mine who's an avowed uh, atheist. You know, I've talked about this a lot. Uh, I've been able to have some interesting conversations with him. I think it's more of a smokescreen. I don't think he's an atheist as much as he's scared. And a very intelligent man, older man, that's relative, right? But older than me. I'm old, so he's really old. What can I say? But the issue is, you know, he looked at me, and, I, and we, we, we get into some interesting discussions, and finally one, one time I said, you know, really, and he started to go off into a tangent. and said, no, 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 let's back up. The only difference that you and I have, truly the only difference in our foundation, in our cornerstone, is the idea that you think when we die, that's it. And I said, in my case, I think when we die, that's not it. That's really the foundational cornerstone piece. If you want to engage the unsaved world, you've got to get into their sight. You've got to understand what they're thinking. And you've got to use, present some very strong arguments with them to help them see what they're saying. And I said, so let's think through that from a risk standpoint. You're an intelligent man. I said, if you're right and I'm wrong, that means that you're going to say at the end of it, all things have just gone away and you, you will have had a better time in life than I would because you think I... 
avoid doing some things based on what I think is going to happen after life. After, uh, I'm sorry, after death. And I said, true? And he finally said, yeah, you're right. I said, but think about the opposite. If I'm right and you're wrong, you're screwed. <laughs> I said, just be very careful as to what you're trusting in. That's a huge risk you're taking. I just don't want you to go into eternity saying nobody thought through this with you. That's the kind of that's the kind of engagement we need to have with the unsaved world. So, on to obedience. Keep peace here. We've just been warming up. We're almost done with class. Although church doesn't start to quarter till we can stop here. <laughs> All right. So obedience. What is obedience? Class, what is obedience? I taught this to my children. I can ask my son over there. He could still recite it. Their children could still recite it. Because they teach the same thing. It is a fundamental concept. What is obedience? Obedience is what? Doing what you're told to do. That's the first piece. Doing what you're told to do. What's the next one? When you're told to do it. And what's the last one there? What's that? Not how. With the, with the right heart attitude. Yep. Doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, with the right heart attitude. Let me put that into today's vernacular. Timmy, about five years old, six years old, getting to the point that he can do some chores. Dad says, Timmy, I need to take the garbage out. Timmy's sitting there watching some TV. And uh, he says, nothing. You said it from another room. You didn't go in and talk to him. You just said, Timmy, go take the garbage. You figure he heard. And you go looking, and you don't see the garbage out 20 minutes later. And you go in and talk to Timmy. And Timmy basically said, without saying it, what? I'm not going to do it. Not my job. So you go, I can solve that problem. How do we solve that problem with Timmy? What's that? I didn't hear you. Turn the TV off. Yeah, and there may be some discipline involved, you know? Maybe some discipline involved in this whole thing. And Timmy gets the idea that was not a very smart move. Right? Timmy goes, I'm smarter than this. I know, you know, I don't need that, all that hassle factor. So the next time, Dad goes in and says, Timmy, I need to take the garbage out. Timmy says, yep, okay, I'm on it. Dad looks 30 minutes later, and the garbage still isn't out. Dad goes, hmm. Goes walking into Timmy, says, Timmy, I thought I told you to take the garbage out. Yes, you did. I thought I said, you were going to do it. Yes, I did. Well, the garbage isn't out yet. Well, i got to finish my show first. <laughs> Dad goes, oh, God. You know? And our kids know how to play us. Amen? Amen or oh me, right? And then, next time, Dad says, Timmy, I want you to take the garbage out now. <laughs> and Timmy goes, okay. And Dad's sitting there, and he watches Timmy taking the garbage out. And what does he see? He sees Timmy walking down the driveway with the garbage can. Like doing this, I can't do anything to make me do this. Why do I have to do all this? And you can see the attitude, right? How hard is it to work on the attitude? Very difficult. It's hard enough to work on the doing what you're told to do. Very hard to work on when you're told to do it. But it's very challenging. Now, what I want to ask you is how do you look when God calls you to obey? 
What does he see? Does he see a broken and contrite heart? Does he see an immediate willingness to say, here I am, Lord, use me? Or does he see, first off, okay, Lord, I'll get to that tomorrow. Oh, Lord, I'll, uh, I'll do that next week. Yeah, I'm on that, Lord. Or does he hear from our inside voice? He sees on the outside, somebody, you know, we're asked to do something, and everybody around us looks and goes, well, look how good that is. Because, by the way, Timmy, as a child, he hides his, he can grumble really well. We, when we get to the adulthood, what do we learn to do? We learn to look good on the outside, but on the inside, our heart is hardened. And I will tell you that all man's ways look right to him, but the Lord, what? Weighs the heart. God sees our heart. He sees what it is inside. That's really what this is all about. That's what obedience is all about. And I'm just sharing with you, if you really want to start getting used by the Lord, Paul talks about this so much. But if you want to start getting used by the Lord, you've got to start developing a right heart attitude. Not just a, I'm willing, Lord, I'm here, send me, but the attitude that goes with it. And that is not an easy thing to do. It is extremely challenging. That's what this looks like. All right, um, where am I? Oh, so obedience, <clears throat> obedience brings blessings, disobedience brings conflict. How do we know that? Because of what Deuteronomy tells us. Anybody got Deuteronomy open? Deuteronomy 11? Anybody got Deuteronomy 11 open? Absolutely. 
It's the one thing that goes through all Scripture. Pride gets in our way more than anything else. The closer you are to the heart of God, the quicker you're, you're, you are to obey. Habakkuk um, 2 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, he's not upright within him. Joel 2.13, rend your heart and not your garments. You know, they used to tear their garments to show how much they cared. And he says, Joel says, rend your heart. For tear it too, that's the one you ought to be working on. Um, Satan said the same thing in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. That's Satan talking. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. The whole problem with Satan was his pride. Same thing that we fight. Alright, so what's real interesting, and we'll not spend a lot of time on here, but this is a piece I want you to go study a little bit on your own, is to say, how can we make obedience, how can we make our disobedience look like obedience? This is what we're really good at, and our kids are, are good at, but they get better at it, and as adults we get the best at it because we can hide stuff. So I wrote three things down here, incomplete obedience, not doing all I'm told to do. And I gave a Second Kings verse here that talks about how there was incomplete obedience. Disobedience can look like obedience, but in fact it isn't. I want you to think about that. I want you to go meditate on this. The second one is cosmetic obedience. Surface obedience looking good to others. Well, this is where we're really good. We look like we're obeying. Everybody else around us would say, what a great Christian man he is. But if I really look at my own heart, and God does... Then you'd go, ooh, that's cosmetic. That's a big facade that he's put up. We're good at doing that. Uh, Psalm 139. Anybody know Psalm 139? Anybody here know, worked on Psalm 139? I had a teacher one time that really pushed us to know Psalm 139. I would encourage you to read Psalm 139 at least once a week. And those of you who are really motivated to read it enough to where you memorize parts of it. Because it is a piece that you will use over and over and over, both in discipling your own life and in discipling the lives of others. There's so much meat in there. But Psalm 139.1 starts off with, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my... My what? My standing up, my rising down. It talks about, you even know the words on my tongue before I even speak them. Right? You know them all together. And it talks about how well you know me, Lord. I'm just saying we're fooling ourselves. Sometimes we fool ourselves cosmetically to the point that we start to believe what we see in the mirror. And we don't look at our own hearts. If you get a broken heart, you first have to begin, start to get sensitive to say, Lord, show me what I need to change here. And then the last one is another tough one. Controlled obedience. God, I will go this far, but no further. How many of us will say, God, I'll do this. I'm willing to do this. And it looks like, boy, I'm obeying. I'm all in. <clears throat> and God may not even call you to more than that. But in your heart, what are you saying? God, don't ask me for that. This is okay, but not that. That's not what God wants. God says, I need all of you. I need you opening your hand and saying, I'm all in. That's a very challenging place to be in. It feels vulnerable. I mean... What things do we struggle to have an open hand to? What things do we struggle to say, I own nothing, I'm only a steward. It's all yours, Lord. What do you have trouble putting in your hand? What's that? Family. Our children. Our grandchildren. Are you willing to do that? 
God chose to use one of your children or grandchildren's death to bring somebody else to Christ, what would you say? You knew that ahead of time. God says, I'm not asking you to do anything I didn't do already myself. That's a hard thing. Most of us are never called to that. I'm just saying that's a challenge we have. We, in our minds, have got to change our view to say, I'm just a steward. Lord, don't take my children, but not my will, but that will be done. Do you see how hard this is? This is so hard. You have got to get to the point of an open hand on everything. And whatever you don't have an open hand on, begin to pray about it. Say, Lord, I want to have an open hand. Help me see how to have an open hand. And then we know that there's going to be testing. We know that there's going to be trials. All that stuff's going to occur. Paul talks about that. That's what our life's going to look like. The challenge in the United States is we want it, along with the you know, the happiness, the joy, the, all the other stuff, and we don't recognize what real happiness is, what real joy is, because we start to buy into the world's concept. Amen or oh me? This is tough stuff. Um, so we've gotten through the controlled obedience. Again, I'd encourage you to go back and look at those. My response to God's Word will be either one of two things. I will either have a broken heart, or I will have a hardened heart. One of the two. What does a, what does a hardened heart look like? Who, who had a hardened heart in Scripture? Anybody think of somebody in Scripture that had a hardened heart? Pharaoh. Who? Pharaoh. Pharaoh did, yes. You even said God then hardened his heart. He had a hardened heart, but then got, that's a little confusing. You know, God hardening too, but he had a hardened heart. Who else did? Saul. Saul. Saul did. Who else? The Pharisees did. So you guys got the idea of hardened heart, right? And a hardened heart, when, when a hardened heart comes to sin in their life, what they start to see is what I'll call is remorse. And it's remorse, that's the next, by the way, my reaction to conflict will either be uh, worldly sorrow or godly sorrow, just to give you a fill in the blank there. But worldly sorrow, how does worldly sorrow look to some of you as a hardened heart? Worldly sorrow says, I am sorry that I got caught. And what I want is a new start. Brokenness, a broken heart says, I mourn for what I have done. And as, as David said, God, it is against thee that I have sinned. Against thee only. He recognizes What's going on here? And somebody with a broken heart does not care what the world sees. They don't want a new start. They want a new heart. David, when he came to that brokenness with Nathan, what did he immediately do? He immediately repented. His changing, his mind had changed direction, right, first. His repentance occurred in her first year. He used Nathan for that repentance. And then the action followed that. And so... Our repentance, our brokenness, will be personal, but it typically will not be private. That's a tough thing. When we are really broken, it will be, people around us will see it. It will be a public thing. Did they see David? Well, David, what's going on here, right? They didn't even understand. I'm just telling you, I have seen brokenness to the point, I've seen brokenness where people will get up out of a service, 
And they recognize, I don't need to be listening anymore or worshiping anymore. I need to be getting to a place of prayer to just get down on my face before God. That's brokenness. That's what it starts to look like. If you've never seen it, it is unbelievable what God can do when, he, when, it, when a man or woman gets to that point. It's very challenging. Not many of us get there. We're living pretty easy lives. We like what we have. But I'm telling you, we are the remnant. And the world is coming at us. And you're going to have to make a decision as the world comes more and more towards us. As to, am I all in with God? God, it's all yours. You take it all from me. It's fine. It wasn't mine to begin with. I'm here. Tell me how you want to use me. If that's the challenges, if that's the trials, it's coming, class. You can see it coming, can't you? The world is coming at us. Our grandkids are going to be facing this. We need to be teaching what this looks like. We need to be building up this remnant. Uh, so my reaction to conflict either going to be godly sorrow uh, that, or, or that worldly sorrow. And godly sorrow, again, is that mourning. Uh, I've given you some verses there. I'm going to let you look those up. I want to talk about a couple of applications before we get out of here. So the practicalities, how do I start into this? What do I do to get going on this? Number one is you ask yourself, well, what do I obey? What am I called to obey? Where do I find that? Where would you find that, class? Where do I find the what to obey? In the Bible, but where in the Bible? What parts of the Bible would you go looking? Exodus would be a good place because that's where the law was given, right? Does the law, when Christ was asked, are you taking the law out of play? What did he say? Not one dotted I or cross T. It's all still there. That's still a good place to look. For wisdom, I, by the way, New Testament might might where we go for the what? To do. Sermon on the Mount. Good spot. A lot of a lot of what lot of what Paul wrote in the epistles. It's all about that, right? And how about the wisdom side of it? Where do we go? Proverbs, you know, the wisdom books, Proverbs, Psalms, and so forth. Um, that's the, the what to obey, the how to obey, the practical applications uh, that that think about the cause and effect. In other words, this thinking through like I did with my neighbor, to think about the choices you're making. How do we look at Scripture? Where do we go in Scripture to say what is cause and effect? Where do we go for cause and effect? So we can think through ahead of time to say which way do I want to go? What choices do I want to make? That's why he gave us Israel. We get to see it come up and then it's all through the prophets. You know, the prophets are going, don't you guys know what you're doing? Israel would come up really high, you know, in Solomon's time. It had never been greater. And not very long after that, it starts to decline. The Rehoboam is his son. And off they go. And then they, they get down in the dumps and they start to pray to the Lord. And the Lord brings them back up. We see that cyclical nature and that cause and effect. We need to go there and read that. Why the Old Testament is so important to understand what, are, what choices are we making in our life? Um, it is not just willingness to say to, to obey. It's not just willingness that's going to make this difference. It is saying, Lord, I not just am willing, but I am going to obey. And obedience class is what? Doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it. With the right heart attitude. If you want to teach one thing to your kids and grandkids, it's that phrase. Get it to where they can just spout it out. Because then they'll begin to understand what they're being called to. Uh, our obedience, we talked about that, is personal, but it's not private. 
Uh, Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before, what? Before all men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Um, your will, the, the willingness, you must, you must obey is the issue. Is again, back to Isaiah 1.19, we, we read that before. If you are willing and obedient, willing and obedient, willing and obedient, again, Isaiah 1.19. We live, here's something I wrote down as an extra piece when I was going back through my notes last night. We live by promises, not by explanation. We often say, what to the Lord? When something happens, we go, Lord, why? That is not the correct question. We do not live by explanation. God sometimes will. Most of the time it's strictly by promises. What are the promises of the Lord? You need to know those promises. You need to carry those promises. And when things get tough and the trial comes, you need to read it. Do not doubt in the dark what you have learned in the light. And we need to write down what we've learned in the light, those promises, so in the dark we can read them and go, remind me, Lord, what's going on here. We don't live by explanation. Just because it doesn't make sense to me, doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense. What does God say in uh, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For my thoughts and my ways are higher than your thoughts and ways. We can't see it. Sometimes short of eternity, we're not going to see it. But it's not the why that we should be asking. It is Lord, how am I going to respond to what you brought into my life? Now I know. That's why I teach obedience. How do I respond? I respond in obedience, willing and obey. Obedience is doing what you're told to do, when you're told to do it, with the right heart attitude. If you walk away with one thing today and say, I want to work on that issue, think about that. It's that right there. It will change your life. Conviction without commitment will bring confusion. If you don't, if you get into this just a little bit at a time and dabble in it and say, I want to do some of this, you'll get really confused because it won't make a lot of sense. You're either all in or you're not in at all. It's one way or the other. And obey God one step at a time. Don't worry about what you don't know. Only because God says, again in, in the sermon, it says, uh, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will... Take care of, you know, worry about itself or take care of itself. It'll worry about itself. So it says, what you know today, what is God calling me today, that's what I'm going to work on. Not what is he going to maybe call me to do tomorrow. What could this look like next year? How bad could it get? I'm not going to worry about that. I'm only going to look at what God's called me to right now, right here, this spot. And I'll work on that. That's all God wants you to do. It's that concept of how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Obey what God has illuminated to you right now. Do not worry about tomorrow. Oftentimes, it is in the darkness that our faith grows the most. Often, it, How many have found that to be true? And so again, don't doubt in the darkness what you learn in the light. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given us a lot of scripture about obedience, about the concept of renewing our mind, 
back to that Romans 12, 2 again. How, what's it look like when we renew our mind? Help us to understand that you've called us to meditate on your word, to hide the word in our heart, and then to be doers of that word. And as part of that, is to be good stewards. But in, in an overall reaching thing, it's to obey. Truth is what you tell us. Faith is believing what you tell us. Obedience is doing what you what you told us, when you told us to do it, in the right heart attitude. And if we'll do that, you say that we'll be prosperous. And again, it may not be prosperous in the way that the world calls prosperous. But when we get to the other side, when we're in front of Christ, it would be no greater joy than to have him say, well done, good, and faithful servant. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.